Olivia spent most of her life thinking she was not good enough. Her parents told her she couldn't become a dancer, but she became a dancer. Olivia also grew up with a speech impediment, but became the European Toastmasters champion, an award-winning TEDx speaker, and today she's even a corporate presentation trainer and public speaking and leadership coach. Here's her story on how she overcame imposter syndrome, found her voice through her story, and stepped into her power. When you stop trying to fit in, she says, that's when life happens. And I think we can all learn to use our voice to inspire and lead people. Olivia's upbeat personality, experience, and the way she conveys her messages, I think, is tremendous. And they help us to see that anyone can learn to inspire. And her practical tips motivate us to start today. This is Helena, host of Where Boundaries to Solve, a podcast with inspiring change agents that have had a strong impact in the companies that they work for or in society. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Olivia. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited actually to to speak to you. As you know, this is a change and transformation podcast. And a few weeks back, I was recording a session with uh, the Storytellers, a, a change and transformation consultancy. And they were talking to me about the power of story. Leaders need to learn how to, to inspire people through story. So that's why I'm really excited to have you on the show because you are a worldwide professional speaker, a Toastmaster champion, and so I'm very, very curious to hear what you have to say on how to create these inspirational speeches and understanding the differences speaking to a crowd versus speaking to a smaller group or speaking to someone one-on-one. But yeah basically enable the power of personal stories so, so that we can, we can start becoming a little more inspirational and in how we take people on the journey to, through change and transformation. Before we dig into what makes, what makes an inspiring speaker that you would like to share with the audience, a little bit about your background and how you became the champion of a Toastmasters and a professional speaker. Well, it's funny because I'm going to share the story with you on how I did not become a champion, but did become a professional speaker. All right, and that's a funny story. Okay, so what happened was I joined an organization called Toastmasters International, can be found on toastmasters.org. And Toastmasters is an organization that began in America by a guy called Smedley that wanted to help people with their communication skills. Mm. And there are little groups all over the world. There are nearly half a million Toastmasters worldwide. Mm. And I was a bit kind of lonely because I didn't really have a community here. Uh, I had my kids and I had my, my job, and, but I didn't really have a community. And sort of I missed sort of English speaking stuff, even though now there's loads of English speaking people here. And I went along and I came across the most friendly and warm group of people. And it was only afterwards I realized that they were desperate for another native English speaker as a member of their club. So they would say they, they, they just liked me, they would say, but they were really, really friendly. And I joined, it has changed my life. No, really. So what happened was I used to be working at the BBC. I worked in television for most of my life. I was a dancer. When I went to university and college, I studied dance And this was a whole turnaround when I joined Toastmasters. I found wonderful people that supported me. I mean, how many leaders and people do you know that are critical 
and do not bring out the best in you. Toastmasters is an organization where they bring out the best of you. So I joined and I didn't know they had these little competitions and they said, will you go in for it? And I went, well, no, I don't really want to. And they said, yeah, but we've only got two contestants and we need a third. Okay. So I went in for it. I won. I went to the next level. They didn't tell me about that at the time. And the next level was the whole of Berlin. The next level was the whole of Germany. The next level was the whole of Europe. And I kept winning and winning and winning. And the next level was the whole of the world. So I flew out to Las Vegas and on a stage, I gave my speech. And of course, by this time, I'd put 300 hours of work into my little speech and you needed two speeches. And I was got through the semi-final in America, massive stage, 2000 people in the audience, terrified. And I got into the final, the only woman of, of 10 people, nine men and Olivia. I gave it everything I've got. I gave it all I had. And out came the announcement and my friends around the world were watching in third place some man in second place some man in first place they knew it was going to be they knew it was going to be me it was some man oh my god and they said there's Tragic. been one disqualification for overtime i was 15 seconds overtime once i watched the video afterwards but you know what so if you like i became a public speaker despite not having one. And that means that you can also become a leader despite not being made one. Despite not having a title as a leader, leading without a title, you might know the book by uh, Sherman. Uh-uh, I don't. Uh, no, it's a, it's a great book, I'll send it to you. He said, you don't have to be a leader to lead. Okay. Yeah, we can all lead, mm. yeah. We can, you know, we can all speak as well. And in this competition, I, I didn't win, but Everybody flocked towards me, brilliant speech. I got invitations to speak all over the world for Toastmasters, all expenses paid, nothing more. But this is the point. When I went to speak, I changed my speech thinking of the audience. They wanted a workshop as well, and, and uh, they wanted some coaching as well. So I built up a sort of a whole thing that I could offer them to get their value for flying me in and everything. I put surveys, a piece of paper on each seat, and it said, what, what point did you like the most that you will use going forward? What point didn't you understand? Mm. Um, and, and there was about eight questions on the survey. Mm. There were often hundreds of people in the audience. And I went around collecting up all the sheets of paper and writing out from every single event all the feedback and changing it accordingly to what people understood, what people got, what people liked, what was fun. And you did this after every event? Yeah, mm. for a year. Mm. So, wow. and, 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 and this is sort of, if you want to do something and you're passionate about it and you want to be good at what you do, you've got to put the work in. But when you love it, it's to be, to be great at what you do. You've got to be critical. Mm. Of how can I improve? How can I make it better? And then the break came when the Women's Lunch and Learn at Hoffman La Roche Pharmaceutical, where the Toastmaster was working, said... Uh, could you fit us into your busy schedule to come here and do a woman's lunch and learn? So I went in there and did one saying I will do, but the people that can Im Im hire me need to be present in the room uh, because I've been doing so much stuff, you know, for free and the people in the room were there to hire me. Roche was and still is my biggest client. And so, you know, my clients tend to be a lot of scientists 
but then I've done uh, conferences at Women in Tech, so I have a lot of women uh, clients and a lot of tech. So uh, when I spoke at Women in Tech in London, people in the audience from Lenovo booked me. I flew to America for them, Microsoft. So a lot of tech companies as well. What is it about techies and scientists that, that need some, some exercise and some coaching on communication and speaking? What is, it, what is like the common challenge that you, that you observe? They're very logical people and they're very scientific. The joy is in trying to speak their language where they accept you, but flip it so that you get what you want because speaking is an art. Yes, it's a science, but it's also an art. It's creative. Scientists and techies normally speak to inform, but actually speaking, you speak to inspire. But and to inspire, you need to move emotion. And don't, techies don't like about emotion, you know. But I can imagine that leaders leading other scientists, they would think that their, you know, information, the way of inf conveying information would also, also reach other scientists. But is that where the thinking goes wrong? Even if you're speaking to scientists, you still need to inspire them? Or like, what is that? Is that a misconception? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake people make is that scientists are some sort of life form that isn't human. You know, you know, they're people with, with feelings and emotions and children and lovers and they're full hearted people. And so we do business with people. We, we act on our emotions and far more than we act on our logical brain. Our logical brain is much less impactful on our actions as our emotion. And that's the same when you buy a product. You buy a, you buy a product that is emotionally pulling you in somehow. I'm just thinking, you know, that not everyone's a born speaker or finds it fun to, to take a leap and, and be emotional so that we, and be personal in, in sharing stories that inspire. So how do you coach people to learn to enjoy the process of, of speaking? Is that, I mean, is that something that you coach people on? Is that something you face? I mean, the thing that people struggle with the most is that they compare themselves to other people so for instance they will compare themselves to the speaker before but what they should do is they should compare themselves to their last presentation because we are all different and we are all unique and that is our joy and that's what makes us you know wonderful and so one of the problems is people compare themselves to others and they get really anxious and then they close up and tighten and restrict and try to stick within the lines well sticking within the lines doesn't really work and scientists understand that the unexpected the unknown a new thought turned on its head to look at something differently from a different perspective can change how people perceive things and scientists understand how this works so once you get people to realize that there is a science also in how emotion works on people they do brilliantly if they apply all the little lessons and all the learnings and they never go back and they realize the science of moving emotions and moving people to feelings. And that's not just by informing people. So what is the science that you give them? <laughs> How do you break it down and make a turn a speech into a scientific equation? <laughs> well, I think it's a visualization process. If I get you to visualize something that you can really see and understand and feel and buy into, 
you will go down that path. It's my job as a trainer for each individual person to work out what is going to twist their mindset to buy into this idea that I'm about feeling and emotion and stories that they will actually do it, but feel comfortable doing it. They've got to feel comfortable doing it. You've got to be yourself, really got to, de to deliver yourself. So, I mean, one of the examples I give is that after years of working at the BBC, doing a presentation is a little bit like being a movie maker. Giving a speech is a bit like being a movie maker. You have to open your movie, you have to pull in the, the viewers, you have to move them through the action and the emotions. Some of the emotions will be, some of the emotions might be, yeah, you know, some of the emotions. And then you've got to come up with some sort of an ending conclusion that leaves them feeling, feeling good or feeling um, thought provoked or inspired or whatever. So it's a little bit like a movie. When you put together a presentation, you wanna pull in all your ideas and throw them up on the board just like when you're making a movie, you film hundreds of hours of footage and lots of it ends on the cutting room floor. And it's the same when you're creating a presentation. The mistake people make is open the computer, get my slides together and talk the slides. That's exactly uh, what happens. That, so that's a bit like trying to make a story from a movie of footage that you just cut and you haven't edited and it's all... Yeah. And I mean, do you know, the process that I do is I kind of take, open up a word document and I just get all of my thoughts out and I write down the narrative and then I try to trim the fat and then I'll turn it into um, a PowerPoint presentation. But maybe there's a smarter way of structuring a story. Well, a story is a part of a speech or presentation. You have to know your audience. You asked me about the difference between groups and big rooms. The only difference is that when you're in a big audience, there's many different people with many different agendas, with many different motives and objectives and of being there. When you're in a small group, there's normally a very specific reason that that group is there. They're working on something, it's thematic or something like that. So you've got to ask yourself, who is the audience? What is the message? What am I trying to achieve? Why would they resist? Why would they accept it? And what action do I want them to take? I want them to go away and think about something. I want them to go away and do something. The first thing you have to do is think about that. And what I do is a little bit like you, Helena. I throw it all on a, on a flipboard. I throw it up there and like I mind map it. I have the, the talk in the middle and then I have things going off. And then I look and I go, oh, that's way too much. Okay, what could I cut? What's the least important? Who was it? Mark Twain that said, a great story is not what you add, but it's what you take away that makes mm, it so great. That before, yes. You take it away, as you say, get away the fat. You take stuff away until you see what you've got. And then you think, okay, what order could that go in? And sometimes I do it on post-it notes so I can move the post-it notes around. And there's a logical order and there's an illogical order. And sometimes the illogical order is better. Mm. because it's the element of surprise it depends how it hangs together yeah you can start with the end so there is no there's all sorts of different structures you can use but you can play with it and it's quite a lot of fun and when you've got it in the order that you want then if you want to add slides you can add slides but what I ask you to do is say what does this slide add does it just show what I'm saying if so don't use it does it enhance what I'm saying 
if it enhances it, how? Does it make the people feel, feel bored, feel like, oh my God, I can't believe how much is on this slide. There's 10 slides on the one slide, I can't see a thing. That's like being a movie maker. Imagine you're filming a scene. It's a marketplace. We see the buildings, we see the people, we see the stores. You, the viewer, don't know where to look. You can look everywhere, but the director zooms in, boom, on one market store. He zooms in, boom, on one woman and child. He zooms in, bing, on the hand of the child that's holding a small bear. The director tells us where to look, at the small bear in the child's hand in this massive market, because somehow it's relevant. When we're making our slides, it's the same thing. Normally, a slide has everything on it. No one knows where to look. The audience are all looking at different things. The speaker is speaking. The audience aren't listening because they're reading the slide and trying to make sense of it. We need to be a movie director when we make our slides. Where do we want the audience to look? What do we want them to see? And you can do that by building a slide, by having more slides with less information on, by using pictures. I mean, I fully agree with you. And I also, when there's, there's a difference when I, when I prepare a presentation with, uh, to hold a speech and, it's, and I know that I'm going to be talking and it's a presentation versus in a group or in a, in a management meeting where I know as well that my slides will be used afterwards to, as information uh, placeholder in a sense. So of course, ideally, in an ideal world, I have the time to create two slide decks, the one that I use for presentation and the one that I use for handout, right? But the reality, unfortunately, that we live in is limited resources, limited amount of time, and where you also just want to be presenting the slides that you use over and over without, to, without having to constantly create you know, a, a separate movie, in a sense, for, for the different presentations that you're going to hold. So my question is, is this something that you, that you also discuss with your customer, at, uh, with your customer Roche, who I would assume, since they're corporate, they also face similar challenges? And if so, is there a, practica a practical tip that you can apply before you start presenting to engage the people? Or how do you navigate that resource challenge? Okay, so a lot of companies have what's called a pre-read, which most people don't read. Uh, and they have a post-read, which most people don't read. But if your presentation has captured them and inspired them, they'll go, where's that post-read? I want to have a look at it now. I'm really interested. You know, if people do have a pre-read or a post-read, they skip through it in a few minutes. So when you're presenting it, if you're using the pre-read or the post-read to present, then they're looking at it for the first time. They haven't looked at it in advance. If you say you don't want to work on it every time because you have a standard presentation that you present, well, you can have a standard post-read, if you like, that you tweak a little bit. If you're presenting something regularly, there's absolutely no excuse for not having a dynamic presentation. What people don't realize is we present for a reason. It is not to inform. Because if I want to inform you, I go, here you are, Helena, here's this piece of paper, read it. We don't speak to inform. We speak to inspire, to bring something alive, to make people want to act upon it, to move forward, to work harder, to have creative ideas. That's why we, why we present, not to inform. There are many ways of informing, a document, an email, you know, a little pre-made video you can inform. But we, 
present live to bring something alive to get people's buy-in you have to do the little extra work i feel like inspiration was such a something tied to energy the the amount of energy level that you can bring into into your presentation you can have the most exciting story but if you're not bringing any vibrancy to it any vividness through i don't know body language tonality etc and you're just perhaps a person which is totally fine who speaks more like this and you're more calm you're more reserved which also has its place in the world right there not everyone needs to be bouncing off the walls like uh, you and i <laughs> let me explain something helena one of the key issues is this if you're speaking for instance on a stage at a conference which is where you can have huge influence um, if you're speaking to a large group or something you always inherit the energy of the speaker before you so if someone's mm. been very american and you know sorry elena very very big <laughs> in their presentation and you come in with a very small presentation you've lost it what you have to do is you have to meet that energy thank you very much you know whatever it is da 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 and then over the first minute or two bring it down mm. to your energy and bring the audience with you and the same is in reverse if you inherit a very small energy from the speaker before you and you come on like this people are going to go oh uh. yeah so you've got to inherit the small energy come in with a small energy and build that energy to where you have your natural energy so how you inherit energy from speaker before you is important and energy is important but you can have an energy that's very small well when i say it's very contained it's not small energy it can be contained like a panther and energy is also in your eyes in your focus in your mouth in your diction in your presence being present that mm -hmm. energy so it can be a smaller energy and i know lots of fabulous speakers that have a smaller energy and they're really dynamic but they are present and often what happens is we are not present when we are giving a presentation because we are so anxious and nervous and stressed that we are not in the moment you know it can be i remember when i once jumped out of an airplane to raise money for greenpeace when i was about 20 wow and um i remember when i jumped out of the airplane people said what was it like and i went uh i don't remember a thing <laughs> yeah. i just remember someone kind of pushing me from behind and out <laughs> i went and it was not exactly like a blackout but it was nearly like a blackout it was like so terrifying to me that i remember nothing and uh, it's a little bit like that when you go on stage yeah? mm -hmm. you kind of like blank out and so if i jumped out of an airplane 15 times that wouldn't happen yeah i'd get used to it i wouldn't be so terrified i'd understand what was going to happen i'd be more aware and it's the same with speaking you're terrified at first but the more you do it and the more you use your toolkit and the more you enjoy it and the more you realize the impact that you have the less nervous you get however i have been doing this for many years i'm a professional and i'm terrified every time mm. like getting ready for this podcast i have nervous energy i've i've 
I've prepared, I've written loads of notes, I've set up the lights, I, I want to give value, I want to do the best I can. Yeah. So there's a lot of nervous energy. If I let that nervous energy channel itself, channel itself into giving you the value, the best value I can give you for this one hour that I'm with you, then I will have done my job and you will have got value and your listeners will have got something they can use. If I allow that energy to go, oh, um, I, 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 to be all anxious and all over the place, we want energy and we want nervous energy and we need to learn how to control it and channel it so it's powerful. Yes, this, is, this resonates very strongly with me. I, used, I was a gymnast when I was a kid and um, I, we, we were living in France. And I was still learning the language and I joined the gym and I was the weakest link. All of these girls were really strong. They could do the splits. They were doing somersaults and all these things. And I'm a very competitive person by nature. So that wasn't going to happen to me. That was going to you know, stay the, remain the weakest link on that team. And I worked hard. And then the, my first competition was coming up. And I was so nervous because I was supposed to do a cartwheel on one of these. It's not a bench, but it's beam. like a, a, a beam. beam. Exactly. And that was very terrifying because in practice, you know, it would happen a lot that we would, we would do it with protection so that if we fell, it was a soft fall. But obviously at competition, you know that there's no, nothing to, to catch you. And all of these girls that were so strong and I wasn't on the team for a long time. So I was so nervous. And I was, I remember being in my bed and my mom came up to me and she's like, so how are you feeling? I was like, oh, it's just... I'm nervous. I don't know. I don't know remember what I said. I was probably like six years old or something. And uh, she said, well, you just have to go over doing the cartwheel in your mind over and over again and channel your energy, visualization, turn, visualization and turn that nervousness into, into strength, into power that is working for you. And you got this. And that's something that's, I mean, I, I then grew up and was competing with horses at, you know, doing a lot of competition, doing a vaulted, which is like gymnastics on a, on a galloping horse. And so a lot of competition throughout my, my childhood and my teenage years, uh, especially as well. And I, you know, I went out there at that gymnastics competition and I was the only one on the team who didn't fall. And I was the, I was the, yeah. And I was the youngest gymnast as well. And I was so, so proud. I met, my parents were so proud as well, but that was a very memorable moment in my childhood where I was like, okay, I can channel and I can utilize this nervousness. And it's actually quite normal to get, to get nervous. And, and I've learned since then as well, that anxiety and excitement is the same reaction, physical reaction in your body. So just merely telling yourself like, oh, okay, I'm nervous, but I can also be excited. So it's the same excitement. It's the same. It's a energy. positive or a negative exactly. way of looking at it. Exactly. Yeah. Things exactly. I say to people is that imagine your whole body is made up of particles, which it is, of course, <laughs> and the scientists out there, and the particles are all going in different directions, Woo having a field day. Yeah. Imagine you could gather all those particles and create a sort of a rocket going forward. Imagine you could push them all in and, and they all go in one direction. Imagine how powerful that would be. And that is part, one of the things, one of the visualizations that really helps. I really, uh, to summarize what, what you just said, I think it's really powerful, the whole aspect of being centered. And that's what you mean. That's the power of, of centering yourself is to, to gather that energy. And I really, really enjoy, and I enjoyed listening to you when you spoke on 
It doesn't matter the type of energy signature that you have. It can be, you know, humongous, but it can also be very condensed, as you say, and someone doesn't have to take up much space, but still their energy is like, feels very precise and very, very focused. And I really enjoy that because I, I would assume that some people think, oh, to be a dynamic, inspiring leader, you have to be this, you know, outgoing all over the place kind of person, but that's, that's not the case at all. You can be pulling people in with a different type of type of energy. So I think that's really, really important. And I want to, and that leads me to the next point in, that you mentioned, deliver yourself. When you speak, you have to deliver yourself. So that means owning your uniqueness and knowing, being comfortable with the kind of energy that you have. So what is that? What is that, that is process? most of the work I do. That is most of the work I do. Self-acceptance. We all think that everyone else has accepted who they are. It's only us that haven't. Mm -hmm. And I spoke at Women in Tech on imposter syndrome a couple of years ago in London. It was a session that was hugely, masses of people came. They couldn't get them all in. They were squashed into the doors and everything. They had to open the doors and people were outside. After the presentation, I went to the speaker's meet corner and I sat there and people queued for two hours. The queue was so long, the people at the end had waited two hours to talk to me wow. about how it had impacted on how they see things completely differently since I've been speaking and what can they do to go forward and so on. You asked me, what do I love about speaking? It is the impact that you can make when you have suffered, like I have suffered imposter syndrome throughout my life. My parents told me that I'd never make it as a dancer. I didn't make it as a dancer. I was in TV. I always wanted to be for higher up and I was sort of like trying to get there and other people seemed to get there before me. It was only through realizing my voice, my own voice was my power, my identity, my individuality, that I found my force. Finding your own individual, unique voice and not trying to fit in, do what other people are doing. And you're not alone. There's loads of people out there that feel the same. My biggest joy is helping them unleash this feeling, a feeling that they think, I can't get out there. I'm trapped under this self-belief and I don't know how to break it. I hear you intellectually, I don't know how to do it. And that's what we work on in our courses. So what is it exactly that well, of course, it's not exactly, Helena, because it depends on each individual person on what their limiting beliefs are. But one of the things we do is we do storytelling of our lifeline and we look back at some of the darker times in our life. One of the parts that I teach, and I just show you here a little example, is that there are two sides to a person. One side of us, the red, shiny side, is the side where we show and want people to see how successful we are, how good we are at what we do, what a good mother we are, what a good lover we are, what a good friend we are, and that we've got a nice house, that we're, we're successful, we're, we're, you know. Instagram, basically. <laughs> Our yes. Instagram appearance. And then there's the Instagrammable. And then the other side of us, the dark side, or we call it the hidden side, the side I'd rather you didn't know, which is I feel insecure. I'm very nervous when I do this podcast. I have teddy bears. And when I come home from doing a workshop, I like to cuddle them. Things that you don't want people to know because they're vulnerable. And actually, you know, the vulnerable leader, as a leader, if we only show one half of us, 
we're not a whole person. We're not leading with our whole selves. So what I say to people is lead with your whole self, the hidden side. It's okay once we own it and get it out there. Yes. I mean, I fully agree. But I mean, as you said, a key part of being able to show up with that is to be in full acceptance of those sides of ourselves. That's right? a journey. It's a journey because I was just going to say that's really something it's like, okay, you, you need to be vulnerable to be able to honestly connect with your, with your audience. And that will require that you put in some, you know, some work and some self into some self-love and some self-acceptance. <laughs> I mean, that's not fixed with one session or one day. That's a process, as you say. So that's, I, start, I find that really open, coach people on that. Yeah. Yeah. You have to open the gate. Uh, you have to open the gate of willingness and on our courses that we do and in my sessions that I do one-on-one we create a very trusting environment they're in safe hands we allow them to open and often people want to get out something that's been in it's like a poison and once they start to get it out and tell it like in a story it starts to heal And the more we tell it, the more we heal as we get it out from us. And so that's a lot of what we do in the sessions as well. When we say, you know, we're nervous at speaking in public, we go, what do you think is going to happen? What are you afraid of that they might think you're not good? Why might they think that you're not good? Because I don't feel that I'm good. Why do you not feel that you're not good? You know, and we go back and back and back until we go, well, my mother told me that I'd never become a real dancer because only 1% or point nor 1% of people that study dance ever become a dancer. Yes, it's a fact, but that could have been me. That point nor 1%, it could have been me. And in fact, it was Nigel Sharnock who sat next to me, not as good a dancer as me, not as dedicated as me, but he was probably told, you can be anything you like, you decide to be, your voice can be heard. And he was a crazy dancer, really quite mad and went on to be one of the most successful dancers that came out of that school. Mm. And so I work with people through that process. We normally try to do a 10 sessions. We work through that process because how we show up on stage is how we are. So if we've been hurt and we're closed and our dark side is massive, we want to hide everything. We probably don't connect with people. And even though not everybody says, I don't want to stand up on stage and share stories about my life, we don't have to stand on stage and share stories about our life. We can stand on stage and share stories about when I worked somewhere, this was the situation of leadership, this is what I experienced, this is how it made me feel, and this is why I'm doing this. So that's a story that can be involved Mm -hmm. in it. But it is involved with sharing how it made us feel and why that feeling has been the impetus for how we lead and how we speak now. Yeah, I think that's a really important aspect. I mean, obviously, you know, now with everyone, with change being ongoing with digitalizations, digitalization, we need leaders to, to stop command and controlling people, but we need to, start to, to enable them to inspire people. And that's why being a, a good speaker is so powerful. And I think there is this notion, this underlying notion that, oh, I need to share my personal life with you. And that's not the case. It's just understanding how to collect what stories that can be irrelevant to your personal life in a sense, but they just need to evoke that feeling, that sentiment that you want to 
that you want others to experience so that they can follow you. When you say so they can follow you, I think what you mean is participate in the story. That's what I mean. So be a part of it. Yeah, exactly. So that they can, because for me, when I connect to someone and I follow someone and I, I mean, follow and I participate in their story, it's an emotional thing that happens, right? I'm like, aha. And it's like, aha, it sits deeper. It's not in the head intellectually understanding. It sits deeper in the stomach or near the heart. It's a different feeling. You do what a leader wants you to do because they've pulled you along and made you part of it and in got you this energy inside to want to go out and act upon it and make it your own. That's the difference between someone that manages and someone that leads. Do you also teach people on how to cultivate energy? Because I mean, taking people on a journey and and telling stories requires that you yourself stay very centered and that you're not depleted. I kind of feel like you're also elevating sometimes the energy in the room or you can elevate the energy in the room and taking people with with you, but that requires that you've already yourself cultivated a lot of energy. You can really change the energy in a room. You've got to ask yourself when you are preparing is who is in the room? Why might they be for me? Why might they be against me? Finding out what's going on in people's minds is a very good way to address these things. Because if people have got a thing in the way, they're not going to accept you. You've got to say there is this barrier and I appreciate it so and I understand it. What I want to talk to you about is, so they feel this barrier or whatever it is, is acknowledged and then they can go on to go, that's okay, it's been acknowledged. Otherwise they're sitting there like this, you know. Arms crossed. So yeah, they're not open to it. You've got to Mm. melt the barrier away. Can only do that when we're authentically ourselves. And yes, in my trainings, we do all sorts of things. We work on energy how to get it. There's lots of different fun exercises that we do. And so you have a little toolkit that you can use to prepare to go on stage or to prepare for a meeting like I have for this, for this meeting, for instance, I did some of those exercises. Can you share some? And well, for instance, one thing I did is I did a lot of humming. Because I want my voice to not sound really high pitched. Yeah, I want my voice to be nice to listen to. And so I have to warm it up because sometimes it can be scratchy, especially early in the morning, like it is here. And also my face has energy. Some people just speak like that and their face doesn't move at all. And actually that's not normally how they are because if you see them in the canteen, they do use their face, but when they're on stage, they get so frozen that they stop. So we've really got to use our eyes and our mouth and our expression as we would naturally. One of the little exercises is something I learned at the BBC. You take a cork and you put it between your teeth and you try to speak as clearly as you possibly can for two minutes. It isn't a wine cork, it's a science cork, seven millimeter. And then when you take it out, your jaw is looser, your tongue moves, and uh, you articulate far clearer. This is something that BBC Mm. news readers do, little tip I picked up from telly. And on my courses, there's quite a lot of tips that I picked up from telly. So, so, So that's one way of getting energy into your face, your tongue, your lips, your expressions, your diction. Many people sort of mumble like that and you think, what did they say, what did they say? If you can't understand what someone says, 
how can you possibly be moved to action? Yeah, because 80% of what we say is p- picked up by body language and how we, how we use our body and our, and our faces and our voice, I guess, as well. But when we first met, you said something that I really, I liked it a lot. You said, when, we, when you stop trying to fit in, that's when life happens. How do people realize what their voice is? One component is practice, learning how to, to use their story, learn to communicate them use them as often as possible to see what resonates, get feedback, as you were saying in the beginning. But are there other ways for people to to find their voice? It's accepting that you have a different voice and that isn't a bad thing, it's a wonderful thing. It is our uniqueness that people will be attracted to, not our sameness, not our competence, not our confidence, but our uniqueness. But it's also unraveling why your voice has been stifled. Mm. So, I mean, just a little story about me. I had a speech impediment as a child. I could not pronounce my R's. Really, really, I couldn't. And my sister's name was Woof. People would tease me all the time. And believe it or not, I, I didn't really want to speak so much. I didn't like being teased. It made me feel very inferior and silly. And so I went on to speak with my body and I became a dancer. I trained at one of the top schools in London, was a dancer until about the age of 30. I didn't really want to use my voice. I went to speech therapy and everything. This led to a whole host of difficult things. I felt inferior. On and on, I can tell you a million stories, yeah, from my past that have Mm. not helped me find my voice. And we... We need to look at those things and why those things stopped us finding our voice when we were a child. And now we're an adult and it's time for us to, mm-hmm. uh, to face those things that we believed about ourselves. So that is really important to mm-hmm. finding your voice. And I, I journey with people along that road and it's mm-hmm. a great journey. That resonates a lot with me and there's some Eastern philosophies, the purpose of life, also called Dharma. And there's this one person that I follow online, I forget her name, but she says, whatever we feel ashamed of, that's our uniqueness. And that's what we need to own because that's what sets us apart. And that's what we need to be confident and proud of. And so she encourages people to say, to pay attention to what we feel great shame for and to to explore that side of ourselves and to embrace it and to see where it takes us. I totally agree. And actually, you often find that your weakness became your greatest strength. I became a speaker, though I couldn't speak. It's the most bizarre thing. In a way, my weakness became my strength. I needed to have my voice heard. I need to help other people have their voice heard. I need to make other people not suffer like I did throughout my life, feeling an imposter. And now that's what I do. And it gives me the greatest pleasure. A lot of women, I work with a lot of women of senior middle management, senior management and board level. And these people have often got where they are because of the hurt or the damage or the the limitation inside them. Because of it Mm. is where they've got to, where they are. And now they need to go back and, and heal it. Heal it and tell and share and allow people to help others. Yeah, exactly. I love what you're saying. We're moving into the final five that I have for you. 
What's the easiest thing anyone can do to improve their ability to speak? I think we've already touched so, upon it, but in a nutshell. Own, own who you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Use your own experience to bring as much value as you can to your audience because you've really got to bring value to your audience. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. The preparation is about you. Why am I nervous? What is holding me back? But when you are on stage, it's not about you anymore. It's about them. How can I give value to them? Not how can I shine the light on myself? Mm-hmm. How can I give value to others? Because a lot of people feel much more comfortable when they think of giving value to others rather than being in the limelight. And I think the most important thing is preparation. People will do an amazing amount of preparation for all sorts of things, but if they've got a presentation or a speech, it normally gets put off to the last minute, partly because no one's got the time, partly because it's looming as a horrible thing you don't want to do, so you put it off to the last minute. Preparation is key, and there are ways to prepare really quickly and really efficiently, and you can learn them. It's a process, and you can learn them, and you can apply them, and you can have a great speech every time, but you do need to prepare. And just a quick tip is think about who you're talking to, what do you want to achieve, what is your message, What is your objective? What is their objective? Why might they be for it? Why might they be against it? How can I open unexpectedly? And how can I close impactfully? Mm, I like that. What excites you most in life? I think that's pretty obvious that sometimes I think I'll give up what I do and and, and go into retirement or something. Because of of course, when I do it, what I do, I'm on fire. When I meet somebody and that has barriers, and then I help them get rid of those barriers, so they go on to give great speeches. That is such a buzz for me. I absolutely love doing it. And one of my women who's now very, very high up, she started at middle management, and she's been with me all the way up over the last sort of eight years, I think we've been together. But whenever she has an important speech, she knows, come to Olivia, She's, she knows she doesn't have much time to prepare. Mm. So if she makes an appointment with Olivia for an hour, she knows she has to be a bit prepared for that, for that hour. And then she comes and she bashes it about with me and she leaves with knowing exactly what she's going to do. And then she's just got to make the slide deck and, and tweak it a bit and add the little bits of stories. She comes to me for all her big speeches on a regular basis, even though she's pretty good now and could probably do it on her own. But she likes that someone outside of the company that's going to go, well, will they understand that? Will they know about that? Well, have you mentioned that before? So we journey together. For, it's been wonderful. Those relationships that you share with people are very important and excite me a lot. Mm. What advice influenced your life the most? Well, I've got to say that I think it was my parents telling me that I couldn't succeed at dance because that influenced me in as much as I felt I couldn't ex- succeed at anything. I guess it's led me to where I am now. I learned that I did have a voice and now I help other people have a voice. In a way, it was a bittersweet pill to spend a lot of my life feeling I wasn't good enough. Actually meant I went on to help thousands of people by now realize they are good enough. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I love that. They are good enough. And your story is powerful enough and your story is relevant and it will touch people, learn how to tell it. I love that. Dear Olivia, where can people find you, connect with you and work with you? Right. So in the real world, I'm in Berlin, but I work all over the world. I fly everywhere. 
or used to. <laughs> and now you connect it everywhere. I've always done online one-on-one coaching because my people meet me on courses all over the world and then they want to stay in touch and do one-on-one. So that's always been online, but I'm doing online workshops and stuff. You can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook, but I've got two websites. So it's oliviascofield.com and there's a contact me button on there and there's spectacularspeaking.com. Now, spectacularspeaking.com is an event we put on once a year in Berlin. It's a two-day transformational course for 12 participants with four trainers. Yeah, and if you think I'm out there, these other trainers are ahead of their field. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you so much. Thank you for your insights. So important to, to leaders that are leading organizations and teams through change through digitalization. It's not easy. And it's so important to inspire people to keep their energy levels up and to keep them inspired and motivated to continue the journey. So thank you so much for sharing your lovely and wonderful insight and your energy. Thank you. you. And just remember to everybody, you don't need to be perfect, Mm -hmm. but you need to be present. Thank you for having me. Thank you. For more inspiring interviews, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or visit my website. You'll find all the links in the show notes. I use my website to not only share the episode, but to publish my blog posts on what I've learned. And make sure to subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. And of course, I warmly welcome your rating and reviewing because that apparently really helps me spread and share the stories with other people. So thank you for tuning in. This is Helena, and you've been listening to Where Boundaries Dissolve.